William Breitbart, who was the chairman of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at one of the prestigious New York hospitals, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, specializes in end-of-life care. And one of the observations that he's had over the years, it was an incredible change in people's attitudes towards end-of-care in the past couple of decades. And one of the things that he realized it, is that increasingly, a lot of patients are coming to a stage when they would be very much in favor of assisted suicide. And the observation that he has, that this wasn't generated or justified by how high amount of discomfort and pain that the cancer patients were finding themselves in, but actually by a sense of lacking any meaning in life. Just that sense of meaninglessness. In his own words, and I'm quoting him because I think this is quite profound, he said this, Breitbart says this, what I suddenly discovered was the importance of meaning, the search for meaning, the need to create meaning, the ability to experience meaning, meaning being the basic motivating force of human behavior. We were not taught this stuff at medical school. And that was the battle that he was facing as a specialist, realizing that maybe some of the patients were finding it very hard to continue to live because they didn't have anything to live for. We're living in a, in a time when it feels like we're on a roller coaster. And the disciples of Jesus would have felt exactly the same. They would have started following Jesus with great dreams about what life could be. And they embraced following Jesus simply because for them, he was revolutionary. He turned their own lives upside down and he was promising to turn the lives of all the other people upside down in a good way. And that's what he started following him. And then came this very disorienting moment on Good Friday, when on the cross, Jesus ended up being crucified after he was arrested and beaten up. And for the disciples, this would have been an absolute shocking, unexpected turn of events. And then if that wasn't enough, talk about a roller coaster journey. On Easter Sunday, Jesus rises from the dead and he begins to appear to a number of disciples. And they are coming back to some of the other disciples with his stories of meeting the resurrected Jesus. And, and, and their minds are just filled now with confusion because they're thinking, well, we were disappointed three days ago because of this unexpected event. But now we're confused because we don't even know what to believe. And they're finding themselves in that place that I referred to earlier on, in that airport lounge, in the in-between place, in which Jesus isn't crucified anymore. He's risen from the dead, but they don't quite know what this means. What is this going to mean for our lives? And listen, I don't know about you, but I feel that particularly in this time, I, I feel just like the disciples of Jesus. I feel that we don't really know. We know we're coming out of something and we're going into something else, but we don't really know what our lives are going to look like short term, long term. And it has implications on all sorts of levels, mentally, emotionally, financially, in everything. So if you're anything like me, I'm asking myself that question, where do I get a sense of vision, a sense of direction, a sense of clarity about what will happen next? Well, 
you and I are probably in good company if that's how we feel this morning. Because the disciples of Jesus felt just like that. And I want to look at how Jesus brings vision into their situation, brings a sense of purpose and meaning. And hopefully this will help us all to have that sense of direction and vision. As we ask that question, what's next? Or what's on the other side? This is always a question that has plagued humanity. Fyodor Dostoevsky, the great Russian novelist, once wrote this. The mystery of human existence lies not just in staying alive, but finding something to live for. Deep inside of us, there is a craving for meaning. There is a craving for direction. And this isn't just what happens after lockdown. This is about our whole lives. What do we live for? What is there that we can give ourselves very passionately to as a cause? And I would suggest to you that Jesus is unpacking for the disciples and potentially he could be unpacking for me and you this morning, a way out of lockdown, a way into living with a sense of purpose. So here is how Dr. Luke begins the book of Acts, which is the first book in the New Testament that follows the Gospels. And the Gospels were retelling the story of Jesus. And the book of Acts begins to tell the history of Christianity and the beginning of the church and the lives of the first Christians. And this is the, the chapter in chapter one, the link chapter between Jesus's teaching and life and the beginning of life for the followers of Jesus after Jesus went to heaven. But this is the in-between when Jesus is still with them. And this is what Luke is saying. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is so significant because Jesus is speaking to people like me and you who are probably having a lot of questions about destiny and direction in life and purpose and meaning. And that would have been the case for the disciples. How can we find a sense of direction in life? I would suggest the first and most important thing is about encountering a person. And for those disciples who probably would have been confused, who probably would have been a little bit disappointed because life hadn't turned out the way they expected. The encounter with Jesus made all the difference. They needed something special, something significant that would bring them a foundation from which they could live their life and not just live their life, but live with a purpose in their life. And Jesus is so brilliant because he takes the time to come 
and speak to them and give them instructions and give them clarity. I remember in the early days of the, the, the beginning of this pandemic, one of the things that people found quite frustrating, they were saying, we need instructions, we need clarity, we need to know what we can and what we can't do. We need to know how we can protect ourselves and protect other people. That is so important. And Jesus takes time to speak to them and spend time with them. I love the way that he presented himself to give them a first-hand evidence that he's alive. He wanted their faith to be based on a foundation of evidence that they personally experienced. And that's the heart of God. I always say to people, look, don't, don't embrace following Jesus based on what other people are saying. It is something that you need to have personally as an experience, as an encounter. And this is what is happening with those disciples. It says, Luke, who is a doctor, is a physician. He's saying that Jesus gave them convincing proofs. Jesus isn't interested in having people with blind faith following him. While there is an element of faith in following Jesus, of course, this isn't a blind faith. This is a, a faith that is based on an experience that is unshakable. And for Jesus, he's very concerned that they have an encounter with him in which he gave them convincing proofs. Probably speaking into each one of their situations, and we looked a few weeks back at what was happening with Thomas, in which Jesus knew exactly what to say to Thomas, revealing his own fears and thoughts and doubts in order to convince him. And that's what he does with all those that Jesus is meeting. And he's spending 40 days. He's not rushing this. I love the way Jesus does relationships. And, and we all know that relationships are so foundational to establishing a sense of direction in life. Very often, before people get married, they, they need to know that they can embark on this journey together based on trust. Very often when you go into a business venture, once again, you take time to get to know the person and trust them. It isn't enough just for them to say, I believe in the same cause as you do. There's a relational foundation. And Jesus is working very hard and encountering those disciples and spending 40 days with them. He says, Luke is saying, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proof that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, the, Jesus doesn't just do teaching with them and, and, and spend time in a didactic mode, investing in their mental knowledge, but he spends time relationally because he wants them to grasp his heart. He wants them to know him. Because that encounter with Jesus is absolutely foundational and essential. He's wanting to make sure that they have access to him personally, first-hand experience, convinced mentally, intellectually, by those proofs that Jesus gives, but also convinced emotionally by spending time with him. Let me stress this as strongly as I can, because sometimes there's such a misunderstanding. Christianity is not a religion based on rituals. Christianity in the New Testament understanding, in the way Jesus intended it to be, it is about a relationship with God. And this is what is happening here. This is an encounter that the disciples have with Jesus, upon which both their minds and their hearts are connecting with who he is, 
with his message, with his direction. And that's what Christianity is all about. People sometimes say to me, Christy, you're a minister, you're a pastor, you're a vicar. Uh, you must be a very religious man. And I often shock them by saying, I'm not religious at all. And they would say, well, we thought you were a Christian, you were a minister. And then I say to them, look, Christianity as its core, it's about a relationship. I am not a religious person. I am a person who has a personal relationship with Jesus. And then the question comes, well, what's the difference between a relationship and a religion? The difference between a religion and a relationship. In a, in a religion, everything is about doing things. So you look at most world religions and they all have a set of rules that you have to do. And very often it's like scales. The more you do stuff, the more the scales are tipping and likely to put you in a very favorable position with God or with afterlife or with blessing in this life. Christianity isn't about doing things for God. Christianity is not about do, but it's about done. And Christianity is about God doing things for us through Jesus Christ. So when Jesus becomes a human being, what we remember at Christmas, it's God doing something for us, stepping into our world. When Jesus is dying on the cross, it's God doing something for us. And really, for me, this is about a relationship in which I am embracing gratefully what God is doing for me. What is God doing for me? He's offering salvation. He's offering forgiveness for sins. What is God doing for me? He's offering me transformation. He comes into my life and doesn't just forgive the wrong things I do, but he begins to change me from the inside out. So I begin to live a different life. What is God doing for me? He's providing for me so many things, numerous, countless things that he's providing for me. And not just for me, but for other people as well. But now that I know him in a relationship, I know where that's coming from. What is God doing for me? He's preparing a place for me in eternity. And that's why John Wesley, one of the radical pioneers of modern British Christianity and impacting Christianity around the world, used to say, our people die well. It's because God is doing something for me with regards to the afterlife, to eternity. So, the disciples had a relationship with Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus. I don't have a religion. And that's a big difference. And this is foundational because it starts with that encounter with Jesus. And I had an encounter with Jesus. At a, at a certain age, I realized I was a sinner. I realized I was messed up. I realized I couldn't sort myself out. I realized I needed help. And then I realized that Jesus is the one that came to provide that help. And then began a relationship with him. And just like the disciples, that encounter with this person called Jesus Christ made all the difference in my life. And it's still the crucial, central part of my life is a relationship with Jesus. And that sense of certainty in life comes as you grow in intimacy in that relationship. So sometimes people, I have friends who say, you know, if only God would prove himself and, and, and show himself to be this and that. And I keep saying to them, look, everything about our friendships, everything about our relationships are very much connected to time that we spend together and developing that intimacy. 
the, the, the greatest friends that are in the greatest relationships that I have in this life. They're all based on intimacy. And this is why God is inviting us into a relationship with him. And the more we spend time with him through prayer, the more we spend time with him through reading the scriptures, the more we spend time together as the followers of Jesus, encouraging one another to discover things about him, the more we grow in intimacy with him. And that's what makes all the difference. And that's the story of my life. Just like the disciples, I had a moment when I had that encounter and it was the beginning of a phenomenal journey that I'm still on right now. How do we make sense of life? How do we find vision? How do we find direction? How do you find meaning? How do we get hold of that that Fyodor Dostoevsky was speaking about? The reason to live for something, I believe we need to have an encounter with Jesus. And later on at the end of this service, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to start that journey like I did and to have that experience that the disciples had. So it is about encountering a person, but it's also embracing a mission. That's the second thing. And Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He's saying to them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that the Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in the days to come, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he says to them, but you will receive power from on high when the Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, the Christian life isn't just about having an encounter with Jesus and then going and sitting on your butt for the rest of your days. My word, that would be so dull and unexciting. In fact, what's most exciting about the Christian life for me is the sense of purpose and an agenda that I'm living for, a passion that I have in my life, and a set of priorities that are shaped by those passions. And because I have an identity, and my identity is a follower of Jesus, because I have had that encounter, I also now, because I follow him, I have an agenda. And Jesus, when he's speaking to them, I love that he's giving them very clear instruction. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that was promised. And then he says, the power from on high, from the spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So the disciples of Jesus now have real clarity about what next. They now have great instruction about what to do, what to give their life to. And it is to serve the purposes of the kingdom of God. So the dual, Jesus can be described in many ways and, and his role can be understood in many ways. But the most brilliant and simple way I can describe it to you is Jesus is our savior and he deals with a sin in our life and he brings forgiveness. But Jesus is also our king or in the old churchy language, our Lord. And basically what that says is that the moment I am embracing following Jesus and engaging in this journey with Jesus, I let him take control over my life. And instead of being Christy, who's the boss in his life or some other person who's the boss in Christy's life, it is Jesus who's the king the Lord, the boss in our life. And from now on, I'm beginning to live in submission to him. It, it, it's difficult language for us because we, although we live in a monarchy, all, all, all that language is probably very alien in terms of daily practice, but it's living under the authority of somebody else, carrying a responsibility that is given to us as the followers of Jesus. We live for the kingdom of God. And that's the calling that we have in our lives. And that's what it means to embrace a sense of mission. And you see, Christianity is all about overflow. 
It's all about the fact that the encounter with Jesus ought to make a difference in the lives of those people around us. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's asking them now to leave Jerusalem and to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Why? So they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, the encounter that they had with Jesus ought to provoke a chain reaction, a domino effect in their own lives that would make them become life changers for other people. Selfish Christianity is an oxymoron. It doesn't exist. You cannot be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, and be selfish and keep it to yourself. There is this overflow principle in which what we experience as a blessing from Jesus and experiencing Jesus as Savior and as King would want to make us be the witnesses, those who tell about what they've seen and heard about Jesus and the difference Jesus has made in their lives. And Jesus is saying to them something quite risky, saying, stay in Jerusalem and wait. Why? Because he's wanting to say to them, look, you can't do this on your own. You need something else. And then he promises the Holy Spirit, which is God coming to indwell us. If you're trying to live the Christian life in, in, in your own strength, it's like trying to ride a bike without having a chain. It's just not going to work. I mean, you can try to push it with your legs, but it's going to be tiring and stupid and you hardly move. Same way, you can't live the Christian life without the power of God who comes by the Holy Spirit, who comes into us. And this is the promise that the disciples needed. If they would have set off to try to spread the good news about Jesus being Savior and King in their own strength, they would have failed miserably. And this is why Jesus is saying to them, you've got to wait. You've got to wait. And guess what? That was one of the first tests. It was a test of obedience. Is Jesus really boss? Is he really king in my life? Those tests keep coming to those of us who are disciples of Jesus. But it's for our good. It's not because Jesus is cruel and says, just wait there. It's like a father would say to his son because he wants to teach him a lesson about patience. No, Jesus does that because he genuinely knows they need it. And that's why he said, you've got to wait because then you will be empowered. That's such phenomenal good news for the disciples. They couldn't do it on their own. They needed that power of God and the power of God is promised. And later on, we're gonna find out in a couple of weeks time is being released upon them to enable them to live this life. Uh, again, this is the, we all have causes that we're passionate about. We all have things that we care about. And sometimes we feel powerless. But that's the beauty about following Jesus and living a Christian life with a purpose and a vision and a meaning. We're not powerless because God is in us by his Holy Spirit and he enables us to be those witnesses. And I love the agenda of the kingdom of God and the purpose. It says in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the world. And it's almost like you would imagine these geographic concentric circles that keep moving further out. In other words, Jesus is saying this is about limitless influence, limitless way to affect the world with the good news of who I am and what I've done. And when my power will come upon you, you will be going everywhere. You could be going anywhere. Nobody is excluded. There's no limits. There's no boundaries. There's nobody that's out of touch. Everybody is available to be touched by this. We don't need to be nervous. We have no excuses. We can't say, oh, I can't do that, because Jesus is saying the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth.
And that is so comforting and so encouraging. It's almost as if there is this positive contagion. I mean, contagious has such a horrendous resonance right now. But there are a lot of things, good things that go viral. Some of the encouraging videos and clips and memes that we sometimes see that go viral, they just warm your heart and encourage you and, and just bring a smile on your face. Good things and bad things can go viral, but this is a good thing that can go viral and it can go throughout the all earth as Jesus is wanting to touch people's lives. Comedian and writer Margaret Young said this, you must first know who you are, then what you need to do in order to have what you want. So true. We must know who we are. We must know what we do in order to get what we really want. In order to have that sense of satisfaction and the sense of purposeful living in our lives, we really need that sense of direction. And I would say looking at how the disciples were being impacted, that really this is a great opportunity to look at what Jesus has done and how he invites us to experience a sense of purpose. And a new scientist, about four years ago, there was an article where Graham Lawton asked the question, what is the meaning of life? And here is his answer. The harsh answer is, it has none. Your life may feel like a big deal to you, but it's actually a random blip of matter and energy in an uncaring and impersonal universe. When it ends, a few people will remember you for a while, but they will die too. Even if you make the history books, your contribution will soon be forgotten. Humans will go extinct. Earth and sun will be destroyed. Eventually, the universe itself will end. Against this appalling reality, how can a human life have any real meaning? My word, how depressing is that? I would respectfully and humbly disagree with Graham Lawton. And I would say life has a meaning. In Christ, life has a meaning. As a disciple of Jesus, you can have an incredible meaning in life. And it simply starts with that discovery that you are made for something. You are made with a purpose. And you can only truly, truly discover that purpose as you discover Jesus. And you know, this time of confusion or semi-confusion, it might be just the very best time to discover that sense of identity that sense of direction, that sense of purpose. It's all connected to that encounter with Jesus. It is about meeting Jesus. It is about embracing the mission of Jesus. And that will bring not an easy life. Let me be really frank. Christian life and the discipleship life and the following Jesus type of life, it's not easy, but it's incredibly satisfying. And is that life very often that when I talk to people at the end of their life journey, they look back, with no regrets, absolutely satisfied because they made the right choice. And my invitation for us all is to have that moment of decision. And it can be right here, right now, this morning. What a good time to be able to do that. The best time to be able to do that. What would that mean? I'll explain to you in footballing language, and I'm hoping that well, sporting language, not necessarily footballing language, but it will hopefully be really, really easy to be understood by everybody. When a new player wants to start playing for another team, 
one of the first things they do is they sign a contract. And very often you can see the pictures of, that the club puts on social media with a player, with one of the club chairman or the CEO or the manager sitting at a table and he's got a pen and he's got, and he's got a t-shirt of, of the new club and they sign a contract. And it's the same for you. If you want to start making a journey with Jesus, this morning maybe you can just sign that contract, say a prayer. It's the beginning of the journey. You say a prayer when you surrender yourself, you, you enable Jesus by the Holy Spirit to come into your life and just start that journey. You sign the contract. I'm going to pray that prayer and offer you the opportunity to do that. The second thing that you do is, you, you know, you, you start the journey. You join the team. And as you join the team, this is what church is all about. Church is not about religion. It's just about joining a team where other people are there, able to support you and able to bring the very best in you and bring that encouragement, bring that shaping that is so essential. The other thing is you start training with a new team. And this is what reading the Bible and prayer and being part of a small group is all about. It's training together. It's getting those tools that enable you to get fitter and become a better player. And then the other thing that you do is you start wearing the shirt. And again, very often you get the shirt stretching in, in, in football where you go to the stadium and you've got a stadium background and you wear the shirt and you stretch it with your number and with a badge of the team. And this is what, again, followers of Jesus do. They tell other people about it. They, they let the world know that they started following Jesus. And it's that simple. Sign a contract, start training, join the team, show your colors. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Let me pray for us as we close. Jesus, I thank you that you came into this world and you blow our minds by the amazing opportunities that you bring for us as you want to take us out of a world of confusion and disappointment into a world of clarity, purpose, and a sense of living for something that is so much greater than ourselves. And I pray for any person right now that feels the call to follow you. And I pray that they'll be able to make that first step to pray themselves and to say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Sorry for the way I lived selfishly and in confusion, but now I get it and I want to start following you. I want to join your team. I want to sign a contract. I want to start training with a team. I want to make an impact in the world that I live in, not by my own resources, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that comes in me. Amen. If you have taken that step, I would absolutely love it if you get in touch with me. You can catch me on social media. You can email me at christy at cfmc.org.uk. You'll find a way to get through. You can... Uh, get somebody that you know maybe to enable you to get in touch. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to make you be part of a team. I love our church. We're so full of imperfect people, but we love Jesus and we love to have other people that come and are part of that journey. So I'm praying that you will take the initiative to do that. I pray that God will give you a fantastic week ahead as you continue to follow Jesus.